Welcome, everyone. This is a Council of Institutional Investors educational podcast. I'm Jeff Mahoney, General Counsel of CII. I'm here today with Professor Alexander I. Platt of the University of Kansas Law School. Professor Platt is the author of a research paper forthcoming in the Michigan Law Review Online entitled Legal Guardrails for a Unicorn Crackdown. Welcome, Professor. Thanks for speaking with us today. Thanks for having me. Professor, your paper argues that the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission has a rulemaking project on its current agenda that it may not have the authority to pursue. Can you give us some background and an overview of that project and explain why you characterize the project as a unicorn crackdown? So a couple of decades ago, uh, if you are a successful private startup and you reached a certain size, you'd probably go public. That is, you'd conduct an IPO, start making your periodic disclosures, maybe list on a national stock exchange. Times have changed. Startups can now raise lots of money without going public. And as a result, they have been delaying that move from private to public status by a few years. So while a decade ago, a private startup company with a $1 billion valuation was a rare enough thing to warrant the nickname Unicorn, today, more than 1,000 companies meet that criteria. So the SEC seems to think this is a big problem, or at least some people at the agency do. So there have been three big signals that the agency plans to take some bold action on this issue. First, last summer, the agency appointed Renee Jones to lead the Division of Corporation Finance. So Jones, who has actually appeared on this podcast back when she was an academic, has been a leading critic of the growth of private markets. And as a law professor, she called for dramatic regulatory reforms to essentially force large private companies to go public when they hit a certain size. Second, last fall, uh, SEC Commissioner Allison Heron Lee gave a speech endorsing these criticisms of unicorns made by Jones and other academics and called for the SEC to reassert its jurisdiction over this growing part of the marketplace. Specifically, Lee proposed in her speech that the SEC crack down on unicorns by leveraging the agency's authority under something called 12G of the Exchange Act. Little background on that. Section 12G of the Exchange Act forces any company whose shares are, quote, held of record by more than 2,000 persons to go public. Now, under current rules, that 2,000 shareholder trigger has little, if any, constraining effect. A single holder of record can easily and often does stand in for tens or hundreds or even thousands of real human investors. So as a result, private companies can raise lots of money from lots of real people without coming close to that 2,000 shareholder trigger. So for instance, today, if you're a venture capital fund and you invest in a startup, you count as one, just one holder of record for purposes of 12G. What Commissioner Lee has proposed is to look through that one holder of record, that venture capital fund, to count its investors towards that 2,000 shareholder limit. And then the last signal, this winter, the SEC confirmed on its official regulatory agenda that it was indeed moving forward with drafting a proposed rule that would do what Commissioner Lee has proposed, that is use 12G to force some large private companies to go public. 
So, Professor, give us your best arguments as to why the SEC does not have the authority to redraw the boundary between the public and private markets by revising the definition of securities held of record. So given the flood of new rules coming out of the agency in recent months, it's sometimes maybe easy to forget that the agency's legal authority is actually limited. That is, they only have the powers that Congress gave them and no more. So my paper walks through a bunch of reasons to doubt that the SEC actually has the legal authority to use 12G to fundamentally redraw the lines between public and private markets. But let me just highlight two here. I'll start with a history argument. So from 1964 to 2012, the 12G go public trigger was just 500 shareholders of record. In the Jobs Act of 2012, though, Congress decided to raise this threshold up from 500 to 2,000 shareholders of record. During debates on this proposal, some congressional Democrats in the House and the Senate were very worried that this change would enable private companies to avoid public markets. And as the Jobs Act made its way through Congress, these Democrats proposed no less than four separate times to add language to the bill that would have given the SEC the express authority to redefine that term, holder of record, as meaning beneficial owner, that is to do exactly what the SEC is now proposing to do, to look through the holder of record to count the actual beneficial owners towards the 12G limit. Further, during these debates, the specific statements made by legislators involved in those debates makes it very clear that they understood unless this language is added to the JOBS Act, the SEC won't have the authority to mandate this kind of look through. But each of these four times this language was proposed, Congress squarely rejected it. And the bill was ultimately enacted in 2012 without this proposed additional language. So that's one reason to doubt that the SEC has authority to do this. A second reason I'll mention comes straight from the statutory text itself. So like all kinds of property, the nature of ownership of securities is actually comprised of some distinct legal interests and rights that can be broken up and allocated to different actors. And the Exchange Act actually recognizes this on its face. So in some provisions, the Exchange Act focuses on record holders of shares. 12G is just one of many examples in the Exchange Act that does that. But in other provisions, the Exchange Act actually focuses on beneficial owners. And in at least one case, the Exchange Act specifically focuses on either beneficial owners or record owners. So under basic principles of statutory interpretation that come from the Supreme Court, where Congress has varied language like this across a single statute, courts are required to presume that this variation is meaningful and intentional. The SEC's proposal to essentially redefine the term holder of record as beneficial owner can't be reconciled with that principle. So, Professor, your paper acknowledges that the SEC may have some look-through authority to revise the definition of securities held of record and thereby redraw the boundaries between the public and private markets. So what is the SEC's best argument? for having the authority to revise the definition, and what types of private enterprises may be captured by that 
revised definition? So I think 12G5 of the Exchange Act is the agency's best bet here. That's a provision that expressly gives the SEC authority to redefine the term held of record for purposes of 12G. So if you take that term and you read it in isolation, just read that sentence, it does appear to give the SEC a pretty broad authority to bring more companies into registration, that is into public company status, by redefining held of record however they want. The problem with this, however, is that once you read that provision, not in isolation, but in the full context of the statute and of its legislative history that I've talked about, it's clear that the authority was not unlimited, but rather pretty constrained, and that the SEC's authority to mandate a look-through for purposes of the shareholder account is quite limited. Professor, the SEC recently issued their long-awaited proposal to require public companies to provide certain climate-related information in the registration statements and annual reports. Of note, the proposal's economic analysis includes a discussion of whether the costs of the proposed climate-related disclosure would result in companies exiting the public markets or from going public in the first place. What did you find most interesting about the SEC's analysis regarding private markets and the proposed climate risk disclosure? So the economic analysis in the climate proposal, I think, significantly undercuts the policy justification for the kind of 12G reform the agency is pursuing on a separate track. So take a look at pages 419 to 420 of the climate proposal, and you'll see that the SEC is discussing a concern which had been floated and is still out there, that if we're going to impose these costly new disclosure obligations, climate-related disclosure obligations on public companies, one potential risk of this is it may create a new incentive for companies to go private or stay private. That is to avoid making disclosures about emissions. Companies may just say, you know what, we're not going to be a public company anymore, or we're not going to go public. But on page 419, the SEC starts to say, well, we're not so worried about this. And let me quote, quote, it is unlikely that a significant number of firms would pursue this avoidance strategy, given that it would come with significant disadvantages, such as higher costs of capital, limited access to capital markets, and limits to their growth potential, end quote. Based on that analysis, it's really hard to see why the SEC would want or need to use 12G to force private companies to go public. That analysis says private companies have lots of good incentives to go public, and we're not worried about pushing more companies out of the public company status because the public company status is so appealing for other reasons that it's really a magnetic force. So if that's correct, it's hard to see why we need 12G reform. That concludes our podcast episode. On behalf of the Council of Institutional Investors, I want to thank Professor Alexander I. Platt of the University of Kansas Law School. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please feel free to contact me at Jeff, J-E-F-F at C-I-I dot O-R-G. Until next time, I'm Jeff Mahoney. Thanks for listening.
Thank you for listening to this episode of The Voice of Corporate Governance, brought to you by the Council of Institutional Investors. The Voice of Corporate Governance is a free, non-sponsored podcast that highlights critical developments in corporate governance and other important issues affecting institutional investors. The views expressed by those interviewed on the podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of CII or its members. For more information on CII and its policies on corporate governance, please visit our website at www.cii.org.